In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success and who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. My name is Tony Grubmeyer, and this is episode 14 of the real stories behind success, right? Money wasn't the answer. What would be? Well, as we go up Success Mountain today with our guest, a former writer in the White House office of the presidential letters and messages during the Clinton administration and a speech writer in the California governor's office during the Davis administration, our guest knows a little about copywriting law. He knows about networking. He's got an incredible business partner in Jeremy Wise. We're going to be talking about Rise 25. He's the host of the Smart Business Revolution podcast. He loves helping small businesses and entrepreneurs learn how to build better relationships. Please welcome to the show today's guest, John Corcoran. How are you today? I'm great, Tony, and I'm honored to be here. Well, I'm excited. You and I haven't had a chance to spend a lot of time together, but the one thing that I do know is that you come with just a resume that would make most people turn and run away because what you have done in like the time <laughs> that I- That's the lawyering part. That's oh, the lawyer it's the total, part. <laughs> it's the total lawyering. It's the networking. It's webinars. But like you came highly recommended into my network. You know, your good friend, my good friend, Jeremy Weiss said, hey, you got to meet somebody. And I said, yes, I'd love to it. So I just want people to know when they're listening today, you're listening to somebody who is not only highly recommended, but the first time I met John, I felt so connected. And I just, you know, that's such a good quality to have, especially coming from a lawyer, is that you feel really (laughs) connected right off the bat. So I just want to say thank you. It's an absolute honor. I think it's going to be a blast today. Well, thank you. Thank you. I jokingly say that I've worked for politicians. I've been a lawyer. I think I'm going to round out my career by going to work for the IRS, like the most detested professions possible. I think that's what I'd like to do. Well, so we'll just start off since we're talking about politicians. We're talking about you did some work with past president Bill Clinton, right? So tell us a little bit as we get ready to deep dive in today, if we climb up this success mountain, but I'm going to ask you the first question and then I'm going to let all of this flow from there. What is your definition of success? So for me, you know, success is about getting comfortable with your own needs and desires. I think maybe, you know, I grew up, I was born in the seventies, grew up in the eighties. And I think it was a time when everyone was told you can be anything that you want to be. And I think that was good, but it had some disastrous, maybe disastrous is too strong a word, but it had some negative effects because it it taught people to to pursue things that maybe they weren't that good at and maybe shouldn't be pursuing. And I think eventually you discover that you shouldn't be just going after something that because it's challenging personally to you. I think you can have a better time at life. You can be more successful. You pursue things that are a combination of one, your own interest and two, things you're naturally good at. Like, I don't think it's a great thing. Personally, I mean, I tend to be drawn to things that I'm really challenged by, but that doesn't mean that I should always pursue them. For example, I went to law school because it was a huge challenge. I was nowhere near the best lawyer, you know? But on the other hand, there are other areas that you can succeed in. So I think success is about getting comfortable with that notion and finding something that you're okay with, that you get pleasure from, and that you can be really good at, and not just pursuing the thing that you're challenged by and that you can because we're so fortunate to live in this wonderful country where we can pursue different careers and different professions. When you were little, what was the thing that you wanted to be when you grew up? 
Oh, what didn't I want to be? I mean, I wanted to be a bit of everything. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be an animator, like an old school animator, you know, before like computer animation. I wanted to be an architect. I wanted, I always wanted to be a writer, which I am now. So a lot of what I do is writing. So, you know, a bit of a lot of different things. How were you as a, an athlete growing up? Horrible. No, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm exaggerate. I, w- I was not a great athlete. I played soccer. And then when I got to high school, I decided to play football. And I was not a great not a great football player at all. No. Were you but, like uh, water boy quality football player? Like- <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite. I rode the bench a bit. My best friend was like the best player on the team. The funny thing was like we had this, you know, great relationship, but he was like a shy guy and he'd, he'd be on the field the entire time. And then sometimes he'd come off the field and I wouldn't notice and he'd be standing behind me quietly. Best player on the field and he'd be standing behind me quietly. I think I always like, you know, admire that kind of quality in people that it's not about the claim and adoration. It's about the relationships, you know, which relates to what I do now, frankly. No. And that's one thing that I, I definitely want to talk about today, but I want to climb up success mountain. I want to talk a little bit. So you went off to law school. You said you weren't like the best lawyer out of the school, but what did you learn? What are some things that you learned going to law school that really helped you to kind of move your career forward? What are some things that you saw for yourself that weren't necessary, what everybody else was doing and made yourself a little different and stand out in a crowd? Probably the best thing, you know, what you just said there, standing out in the crowd, I think is the key point because it's very easy to go to some experience like that, whether it's law school, grad school, medical school, or even college for that matter, where you allow yourself to be put into a bunch where you're just competing against the pack. And you don't allow yourself to stand out to be, as Seth Godin would say, the purple cow, you know, and when every time in my career that I've succeeded, it's because I put myself in a different environment where I'm not being competitive with other people on the same plane. Here's what I mean by that. You know, in law school, you go and then you graduate and you're competing against all the other aspiring lawyers. And I didn't go to a a Harvard or Yale or anything like that. So as a result, you're competing with other people with better grades than you went to a better school than you. And that's a very tough competition to be in. In my career, what's been most successful is when I take myself in one field and put myself in another field. So I'm not competing against the same types of people. So for example, when I was applying for a job at the White House, I actually at the time was living in Los Angeles, which is where my family is from, and I was working for DreamWorks in LA. And so I wasn't competing with other people. Probably all the other people who were applying to that job to be a writer in presidential letters and messages were working on the Hill, on Capitol Hill, working for a senator or a member of Congress. I think if I was working there, I probably wouldn't have gotten the job because I would have been just like one of a thousand other people. But because it was coming from DreamWorks, it was unusual. It was different. And then a couple of years later, after when the White House was winding down, the Clinton administration was winding down, I was looking for another job, I ended up applying for a job as a speechwriter to an up and coming, then up and coming governor of California in California in Sacramento. And I was coming from the White House, which was unusual is different. I wasn't coming from the legislature, which is where probably most of the other people were applying from. And then I, I kind of realized when I went to law school, I stopped doing that. I stopped, you know, I stopped, you know, valuing that, that piece. And so now what I try and do is I realize when you have an unusual background, it really is an asset. So I try and get people to appreciate that now. No, I think that's a great quality. I mean, so many people just go to school to get good grades, go get a job, and then they find themselves, you know, 40, 50 years down the road going, how the hell did I end up here? Right. And they were never challenged. And so I love that. I think that's an important piece that a lot of people who are listening today, you need to remind yourself, John just mentioned two things, right? So being from LA, working at DreamWorks, great outfit, and then applying to go and be a copywriter, I call it a writer, for the Mm -hmm. government, right? And to be with President Clinton, 
And then from there, like, oh, I want to go do something else and taking the reverse skill and applying it where everybody else was probably applying with just normal right out of college degrees, trying to get a job. So you had a different angle. And I think that's an important piece that a lot of people just brush over. That's something that I would say is like a plus plus, in my opinion, because you're not like everybody else. I, I know people who like, you know, they spent years as a practicing musician or a touring musician or something, and they're a little bit ashamed of it or they're they run away from it. And I say, you know, in today's day and age, you need to embrace what's different about you and just find a way to spin it into a positive and relate it to what it is you do now. You know, and I think that just makes people more interesting. No. How long have you been married? 12 years. All right. 12 years. How long have you been practicing law? Uh, about 10. 10. Very cool. So what was it like early on with you and your wife? What was business like, finance like, kind of just getting by like, coming from college and et cetera, you know, just yeah. in that mindset? Yeah. So, well, first of all, they say that people going into law school with a serious relationship don't often leave law school with a serious relationship. I'm fortunate that my wife saw it through. <laughs> we actually got engaged while I was in law school, married while I was in law school. So that was good. And she was also going through grad school. There was a year, I think our income one year was about $17,000. It was just from summer money, basically. You know, we were working off of, you know, making money off of loans, basically, or living off of loans. So yeah, I mean, I think you go through periods in your life where sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. I mean, my career, I've worked for a president who was impeached and a governor who was recalled. So I know what it's like to be at the top and also be at the bottom. And it's given me an appreciation for when others are going through those nadirs in their career, like a a bottom, that's when you need to reach out to people. People remember that. That is so important. When they're at the top, that's when everyone's contacting them. That's when people come out of the woodwork contacting them when they've won an award or something like that. When they're at the bottom, that's when no one contacts you. And so you really appreciate that. So that's a big, you know, from my career, that's a big lesson that I've learned. So you go off to law school, you're married, you have all these amazing things happen in your life. You know, I look just at a short period of time of your career, you're living in the Bay Area. It's very different living in the Bay Area than living in Connecticut or you know, somewhere in the South Carolinas or wherever it may be. What gravitated from a Los Angeles boy to go move to the Bay Area, which is one of the, I call it the richest, you know, areas that you could possibly live in California. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a very expensive area to live in. And it still is. I mean, there probably isn't a day that doesn't go by that I think like, geez, you know, we could be living in a 4,000 square foot mansion somewhere else, you know, and have lots of space. But on the other hand, you know, there are benefits to living here. We're a two minute walk from the bay. I take my son down to the bay and he loves going fishing. So he brings his fishing pole, sticks it into the bay. We go and uncover rocks and find crabs underneath them. So you find, you know, the value of those things. You know, what has it been like living here and, and going through law school and all that stuff? I mean, it was, it was tough. It was definitely a challenging period of time, but there are benefits of living. The other benefits are the people that are here. I mean, like our neighbors, our friends, friends of friends, I mean, if you get into comparing yourself to the Joneses, that can be a challenge, right? Because, you know, I mean, my neighbor down the street is in the high level at Uber. He's like one of the, on the executive team. He's, he's a down to earth guy, but I mean, you, he might be a billionaire within a couple of years time, you know? So if you compare yourself to people and there are other people who've, you know, founded companies that went public. And so if you compare yourself to people like that, then you'll resent living in a place like this. Yeah. I tell people stop comparing and start complimenting people. Because that helps you to admire, okay, what did they do? And then you get a chance if you ask questions, you build a little bit better of a relationship. Because, I mean, rich people don't want to be bugged all the time. How did you get rich? I mean, you can go Google them now and you can figure out pretty much what they did. 
but I, I love that. And I think the keeping up the Joneses is a big thing. Like for me, I experienced growing up, you know, came from a, you know, single family home. My mom worked three jobs to put food on the table and all my friends around me were married with kids. And I was like, okay, so is that, is that the key to success? Mm. Is the key to success, you know, from the seventies like you, is that the key? If yeah. I do what they did, I'll get the results they had, then I'll be happy. And that's why I asked the question in the very, very beginning of like, what's your definition of success? Yeah. Because I think it's coming from a different space. Let's talk as we're climbing a little bit. I know that a mutual friend, Jeremy Weiss, is in your life. How did you get connected to Jeremy? Jeremy and I, we met through podcasting. I'd met Andrew Warner. He was working as a producer for Mixergy and then met Jeremy through Andrew. And he's one of these guys who communicates with, as you know, a thousand people a day. And so we kept in touch. And then he was coming through the Bay Area. He was coming to Mastermind Talks. We were both going to this conference and he called me literally with like three weeks notice and said, hey, what do you think about doing like a little small group Mastermind? And Usually I say no to those things, but for whatever reason, I was like, sure, let's do it. Let's, let's organize it. We organized it. We really enjoyed it. And we said, hey, let's keep doing this. And we, we really kind of like tested it out for like a year and a half, doing a couple of different events and increasing the price and the quality each time. And then decided this is really becoming a business and kind of formalized it and went from there. And it's been a great partnership so far. It's one of those things like I wasn't seeking out a partner, but now I'm really glad that I have one. No, you have an amazing partner. You guys are doing, uh, I wouldn't want to give it a bad analogy or description, but RISE 25, can you explain what sure. RISE 25 is? Because that's what you guys are working together on, which is an amazing, yeah. just, uh, I've been invited and it just hasn't fit my schedule and I'm definitely up for uh, attending. What is RISE 25? So everybody knows there's a sign behind you if we push the content out to the world, but what is RISE 25? <laughs> yeah. Sure. So, well, you know, I, I kind of jokingly say I'm a recovering lawyer now and Jeremy's a recovering chiropractor. So what we do is we help people from professional services who are primarily trading hours for dollars and looking to do something more leveraged with their time so they can get more of their time back and spend more of it doing things that they love. And we help them figure that out. And there's a lot of questions that people have around that. Well, you know, how do I make a living now? Will I shift? What will it look like? What do I create? What do people want from me? And so we help people through that process. And we do it by we have some online programs and we also have in-person programs and, and we do a lot, you know, last year we did about eight or 10 different events in New York, Chicago, Austin, San Diego, Santa Barbara. And so this year we're shaping up to do, we're doing one in San Diego next month and Las Vegas after that and we'll do New York, Chicago. And so we do little group retreats and, and it's fun. We enjoy it. Well, I, I love it. And I think I attended one of your guys' events last year in yeah. San Diego, which was phenomenal. I mean, it was, you couldn't get into it. Like, I'm glad I knew you guys because I wouldn't have been <laughs> able to attend. The thing that you mentioned, how you guys got connected on podcasting and, you know, looking back at your podcast, I mean, you've only been doing podcasting from 2012, right? So it's only been a short period of time. What was podcasting like when you got started? How's it different today for you? Well, I made a lot of mistakes. One was I didn't systematize my podcast, so it became a burden rather than a benefit. And it is such a huge benefit. I think everyone should have a podcast these days because the reason that we're talking right now, I mean, you and I met a while back and I, you know, had wanted to connect with you deeper. And I sent you an email a couple of months ago. I was like, hey, let's, let's do a podcast interview. I was actually talking about me interviewing you. <laughs> I showed up today. <laughs> You're like, I'm interviewing you. So, but I do that, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful tool for being able to deepen a relationship with someone. And so when I started it, it was, you know, it was, it was definitely less crowded landscape than it is now. It's, it's definitely become more crowded. 
there are more mainstream, the top of the charts, if you look at that, which is, again, is you know comparing yourself to the Joneses, which I don't think you should do. But if you look at it, there's a lot of mainstream podcasts that are out there, which I think is a little bit unfortunate, because I think part of the reason people love podcasts is that independent voices are coming to the front. You know, so there's more of that. But I think also people understand what a podcast is now. I mean, five years ago, when you invited people on a podcast, they're like, wait, what is it? What do I need to do? You know, they're a little confused about it. Now people generally, especially if they've been on other podcasts, they understand it's pretty easy to do. So I love it. I love doing them. Well, I I love it because, you know, the episodes that I was checking out, you know, of the Smart Business Revolution podcast, I think for you, you have just such a diverse amount of people that you're interviewing. David Gonzalez, I mean, you, you talk about Kim Walsh Phillips, mm-hmm. Joel Irway. Uh, when you look and then you go all the way to kind of the beginning of time for you, you were pulling in big names from the very, very beginning from Pat Flynn. I mean, you just start thinking about the people that you're talking to. And I was like looking and checking out your five-star reviews. And I was like, I'm super impressed. I mean, I know who you are. I know who you work with. But I'm like, you know, when you really begin to think about a podcast and you go back and you look at the episodes from 2012, 2013, and 14, they're still pulling in in popularity. So you're doing mm-hmm. something right because so many people release content and then that show has a nice bump and then the next show comes out and that has a nice bump and that other one fades right. a little bit. But you found something called consistency. <laughs> and you were talking early on about how there wasn't a system or something that wasn't systematized. Yeah. What are some things that you've been able to implement system-wise that has really helped you to kind of scale your podcasting? So I looked at the end of 2017 and I look back and I realized that I had only published about seven episodes the entire year. And I was really embarrassed because I'd done a bunch of interviews. I just hadn't gotten them out the door. So actually, my business partner, Jeremy, helped me to systematize that he had done a great job of systematizing his podcast. So he helped me to do that. As a result, now it's the way that it should have been from the beginning. I have someone who handles everything after I'm done. So all I needed to do is reach out to people I want to interview, conduct the interview, ask the questions. It's very conversational like you do. And then when I'm done, I just kind of move it into a Dropbox folder. I decide on a title and that's it and I'm done. And I'm really glad that that's all I need to do because it makes it a lot easier and it allows you to focus on the pieces that are most important for you and for your career. And I tell people, you know, don't look to like start a podcast, be the next John Lee Dumas and make $40,000 a month off of sponsorship. But you can start a podcast and use it very deliberately to grow your network and to, you know, you can have clients on, you can have prospects on. There's a lot you can do with it and you can really use it to benefit your business. So what are a couple of things, if someone was getting into podcasting today, listening, they're like, you know what? I always had this great idea. I think I'm going to go do it. What are some things that you would say are a must that people do? Yeah. So one is I think absolutely systematizing as much of it as possible. So you don't have to do that extra stuff because there's going to be some piece that you break down over that you don't enjoy doing, you know, and it's not a great use of your time. The best use of your time is doing the extra interviews and conducting, you know, building the relationships with people and then looking for ways which you can serve them. You can help them. You know, how can you take that relationship even further beyond just the interview that you're doing? And you mentioned big name guests from the beginning. I mean, the fact is like, you can get some pretty big name guests, especially if you time it around a time that they're coming out with something, you know, when they have something to promote, like a book that's coming out or something, then they're really open to going out and being on podcasts. So you'd be surprised the caliber of guests that you can have. And in spite of that, I will also say you should not just go chasing big names. I think podcasting is very boring when it's just the same 50 people who are on every other episode. So, you know, start with people in your life, start with your clients, start with your past clients, start with people that you want, that you've met, like 
you and I, that you've met at a party and you want to get to know better because you've heard that person is great and you want to get to know them better. So that's where I would start. What would be some don'ts if you were getting into podcasting? Don't, don't, you know, have a deliberate strategy behind who you're going to interview on your podcast. I see a lot of people who they kind of get drunk. I say they get drunk when they start podcasting and they're like, I can have this person on my podcast and I can have this person on my podcast. And like, I'm going to get Gary Vaynerchuk and I'm going to get Seth Godin. And it's like, okay, you know what? Okay. What is that really going to do for you? You know, what is that really going to do for you if you have Seth Godin for the bazillionth time on your podcast? No offense to Seth Godin, you know? So I think that having a deliberate strategy is a big one. Having an idea of like how you're going to monetize this. Because if you don't make money from it, you're going to give up. I see it happen all the time. People start a podcast. They do it for like four or five months, six months, whatever. And then they're like, this is a lot of work. And I'm not making money off of this. Why am I doing this? There are other things I could do. And then they just quit. So don't do those things. And don't try and do it all yourself. You know, have there are other teams out there that can do it for you. No, and I think there's a couple of really key things. You know, I know when I first started, you know, I came from radio. You know, you were talking before the podcast today about, you know, you spent some time on an AM radio station in college. We were talking about just the early days and how you have this idea of like, I'm going to release this product. It's going to go to the top of the charts. Everybody's going to be downloading it. And then the reality is it doesn't always take off like that. How did your show kind of take off for you? Did it, was it a slow, were you at the right time doing the right kind of show where people were needing what you were putting out? Like, what was the beginning like looking like for you? I mean, you know, I honestly don't even think of it as being a huge show or anything, you know, at this point. I've, I mean, I'm friends with guys like Jordan Harbinger who've got The Art of Charm, which is a huge show. He gets 4 million downloads a month, you know, so it's it's hard to even compare to those sorts of things. But, you know, for me, it's just building consistency, as you said, you know, and, and recognizing when you're not consistent and making tweaks and adjustments along the way and just continuing to do it and because they're you know, you'd be surprised how many people will say yes to being a guest on your podcast. I've had very few no's, you know, the no's are, you know, people who are doing, you know, they're publishing a book and they're spending their time being interviewed on the Today Show, right? They're, they're a little busy, right, to come on my podcast. So, you know, stretching yourself, getting yourself out there and, you know, just doing it. No, I think it's important too. When you came in from the very beginning of today's show, we were talking about, you know, we talked about keeping up with the Joneses. We talked about, you know, our expectations and keeping really like your passion is something that's super important. I, I hear that in your voice. You talked about it as well when we were saying like, you see a guest kind of coming out with a new product or service. You don't want to just interview them because you're like, oh, congrats, you got a new book. It's like, how can I serve you? And that's a very important thing and value. You know, people don't buy from you. They buy you. Yeah. And then they buy you, then they go, okay, cool. Look what we can do together. And I think that you have such a servant leader's mentality. I love that about you, John. I think that's a fascinating quality and a character that so many times people are sleazy and cheesy and they're like, oh, like, come be on my show. And then like, that was it. Never talk to you again. Right. And I'm showing for the people who are not going to be able to watch this. I put little tiles up on my wall. So then nice. I can see, you know, people that I've connected with and impacted or vice versa, they've impacted me and I want to have them around, right? right? So there's a picture of your business partner sitting on my wall because somebody who's made a big impact in my life. Right. So it's built and I built some of the most amazing relationships. Tell me some relationships you've been able to create that you're more than just acquaintances now from just your podcasting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mentioned Jordan, you know, I, you mentioned Pat Flynn. I've had him. He's come out to some of our events. All kind, I mean, Ryan Williams is a, a good friend who has got a podcast. 
you know, I've collaborated with Dave Stahovihack a couple times with his podcast. He's got a big one in the career niche. I just, you know, I just want to step back to something you just mentioned. I think this is an important point. You know, I don't say that you should just go out there and just be cheesy about it. And, and like, you know, if you're a guest on a podcast or if someone comes on your podcast, just kind of like a flat, how can I help you? Then they say something then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure how I can do that. <laughs> you know, you get that a lot where people kind of say like, oh, how can I help you? And then, but they don't really exert any energy or effort to follow through on it. The challenge is as you do more of these, like how you continue to exert energy or effort. And you have to kind of channel your energies towards one thing that can deliver value to mass numbers of people. For example, the way that we do it now is by, throwing a party or a reception at a conference where we can invite large numbers of people. I can't every single day be introducing, you know, 30 different people to 30 other different people, even though I love doing that and I continue to try and do that. But I think that you can try and find ways to channel your effort. Some people do that by creating content, blog content, podcast videos, something like that, that helps the massive, you know, a massive number of people. But I think delivering value is incredibly important. And I'm going back to the beginning of my career. That's how I got my job at the White House. It was, I had interned at the White House. Afterwards, I left. I went back to college. I knew I would like to get a job at the White House. I would like to be a writer. That would be really nice. But at the same time, I had a BA in English from a party school. So not so easy, right? And I ended up, you know, there was a couple of the speechwriters that I really connected with. And I just continued to deepen that relationship. I continued to deliver value to them from afar. I would see a speech and I would copy it. I would send it in the mail to them. And that kind of delivering of value is why they then thought of me when a position came along and they sent me an email one day and said, hey, John, I think this would be perfect for you. It ends up working into a job for me. So you're at your top of your game today, at least where you're at in life, your career, you work on webinars, Rice 25, practicing law, married, kids, all the fun stuff that life brings at you. How do you keep it all together? You got a good routine that helps you to stay organized? I know you got systems for your podcast, but what are you doing to keep you kind of on track and organized? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always a moving target, like always trying to keep all those pieces in place. And I certainly don't want to you know, have a, you know, project an error that I'm perfect or flawless because I certainly am not. In fact, early on when I was making this transition from law to, you know, something more scalable, something, you know, a little bit elevating my profile, I remember getting an email from someone who I liked and respected who emailed me and said, hey, John, you know, I don't feel like I can relate to you. I feel like you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth because I hear about these things that you've done working in the White House, blah, blah, blah. And look, I'm someone who my dad was laid off three different times when I was growing up. We really struggled. We had to move 3,000 miles away each time he got a new job, away from family and friends. I grew up as a redhead. Anyone who knows what it's like to be a redhead, you are the outcast in every class. You're unusual. You're different. And if you ever saw an 80s movie, the redhead's the kid that's kicked on, spat at, right? That was, you know, I'm not saying that I was a minority or anything like that, but those were the immediate images that I looked up to, right? So imagine what that does. You've done a lot of personal development. Imagine what that does to your head, right? To your mindset and where you can go in life. So I don't ever want to portray that image. So I think that what is more important than, you know, thinking that you have everything figured out is being willing and open to new ideas, new approaches, new ways of doing things. And, you know, I mean, it's not perfect. We have three kids who are age seven and younger. So my life is just a bucket of chaos and a little bit more chaos thrown in. And you just try and like be Zen. Like for example, I just started about two months ago with a little meditation. 
It's something I've heard about people been doing for a long time. I thought, you know what? I want to try this. And every day I've been doing about 10 minutes. It's about what I can manage right now. But you know what? I like it. I like it, you know? So I think having a willingness and an open mind to try new things, I think that's a quality that I really respect in others. And I try and just always remember to practice it myself as well. No, I love it. I threw you a curveball on purpose, right? So we tell people all the time, like, we're going to get to the top of success mountain. We're going we're gonna to get yeah. there. And reality is, is you may get there, but you don't stay there. And, and we're humble enough to know that it's, it's a step every single day we got to take to working on becoming more. We got to work hard. At, you know, what we did yesterday, we got to be better today. We got to find what we weren't, weren't able to be successful at yesterday. What did we learn from it? What lesson were we taught that we could apply today? How could we be of service and help somebody else? And these are the things that keep showing up for me during our conversation with today. You're very humble. And I love that. I think that's a great, great quality. I think that you have the confidence to know that, you know, you're, you know what you're good at. You know that you can help people, that you've been around for a long period of time doing what you love, which I think writing is one thing that I can tell, but mm-hmm. I really think it's the networking and the connections and going deep and building those kind of like long lasting friendships. You know, you said, you know, with three kids, been married, you know, for a period of time, you've been with your wife 12 years, you know, practicing law for 10, like you have all these things going on, but kids humble you for one. They show you really, really quick that yeah. the <laughs> lessons that I've learned from my kids are to have fun and to not take everything so serious. What are some lessons that you've learned from your kids that you've been able to apply to your business life? Oh man, what a good question. Jeez, how much time you got? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's so many lessons you learn from becoming a parent. You know, there are business is just one element, one aspect of people's lives, right? You know, I mean, one thing is an empathy for others, you know, because other people have other things going on in their life. And you never know what that is. You know, there have been times I've had a couple of conversations with Jeremy recently where, you know, he was getting upset about something someone else did. And, you know, I was like, you just never know. You never know what's going on in that person's life, right? You know, there's just something behind the scenes. You never know. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're struggling with a child. Maybe they're struggling caring for an elderly parent. And so you never know. And, and same thing with kids, you know, I mean, it's, as you know, it's a roller coaster. It's up and it's down. Our oldest kid is a very, very high energy kid, high needs kid. And so, you know, that has been draining at times. I also know if you allow yourself, you can have a little pity party, you know, you can, Mm. you can feel real sorry for yourself and say, oh, you know, man, I've got all these things that are just holding me back and you can just feel sorry for yourself all day and that's not going to get you anywhere. No, so, so true. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to quickly take a break and then we're going to come back and I'm going to, we're going to walk down a little bit of success mountain. We're going to walk down towards the end. We're going to take you through the fulfillment round, random questions. They have no, no score. There's no phone a friend. There's no wondering if there's a right or wrong. It's just for fun. So we'll do that. We're going to come back and recap a little bit about you and your accolades and the things that you're working on. I, I love the Rice 25. I love the fact that you're committed to putting on more networking events this year than you did last year because you saw maybe there was a formula or something that kind of broke through for you about just kind of being connected with Jeremy, being married, being a father of three being the host of the Smart Business Revolution podcast. This is John Cochran, and we'll be right back on the Be Fulfilled Show. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? 
Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to Ship Offers, clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at shipoffers.com. All right, we are back on the Be Fulfilled Show. Today's special guest, John Corcoran, joins us, the Smart Business Revolution podcast host, been around since 2012, podcasting, having fun, business partners with Jeremy Wise, a good friend of mine, Rice25. You talk about a person, in my opinion, father of three, somebody who is just having fun, loves adding value, systematizing his life and his business to keep him in check, to really help him to become more Recently started meditation a few months back. He's giving himself 10-minute sessions each day and finding it. That's about as much as he can do. I got to tell you, man, that's nine minutes more than most people. So congratulations. (laughs) Baby steps. What is one thing, just in a short period of time, of just finding yourself, calming yourself down enough to kind of meditate? What are some things that have come to become more clear for you about that process and you? Just the fact that you can do it, that if you take the time to sit be present, not be thinking about anything else, trying to just clear your mind that you can really kind of change. And this sounds so woo-woo, but you can kind of change your physiology. You know, you might have come into the office, you know, it's Monday morning, we're recording this on a Monday. It's Monday morning, you're coming in, you're, you're anxious, you're thinking about all those emails you didn't answer over the weekend, you're thinking about all that stuff you need to do, you've got all this stuff, all this garbage in your head, and that you, you know, I do it in the office. So I get in the, I got this chair in the corner, I sit down in the corner, I sit down and do a guided meditation, and that it slows me down, slows me down, and it allows me to be a lot more balanced and a lot more centered, and that, for me, is wonderful, because I, I can get very anxious about things, and then that and that does not serve me at all. Do you have any apps that you recommend or any programs that you like for meditation? You said guided. Are you just using a YouTube video or have you found something particular that you like? So thank you to Dan Cashel. Dan Cashel sent me uh, one of the Amazon Alexa devices, the Amazon Dot, and it has a guided meditation. I forget if it's a skill you have to install or not. It might be. And they have a variety of them that they run you through and they're anywhere from like two minutes to 10. They're usually around eight to 10 minutes long. And so I just sit down and I say, Alexa, play me a guided meditation. And she does. And it's great. I know you got to turn those off when we are doing podcast interviews because I reference <laughs> Alexa from time to time. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Good One point. of the best questions you can ask Alexa, girl, boy, whatever you like, is what is your favorite AI device? Oh, I'll like, do what, that. like, what do you think of like Siri? What do you think of Google? What do you think of these? I like all these AI devices. And it's just funny, like the conversations I find myself having when I'm by myself going, I'm I do really too. not talking to anybody, am I? Oh, uh, every I morning, you can, they have something different every morning. So I come in and I say, I say, A word. I don't want to say it because it's going to go off. But I say, A word, A word, good morning. And then they have a different thing each morning. And then I also say, good evening, just because I want to hear what it is they're going to say. You no, know? it's fabulous. And if you have your show, you know, it's on iTunes. I'm sure it's on Spotify. You can ask that AI device to, to play your podcast for you. So you can listen to interviews. If you have Spotify or whatnot, you can listen to your interviews over your device, which is kind of cool because I very rarely ever get a chance to listen to the finished product because moving and doing all the stuff that I'm doing. So I make sure I load them up on my phones, but it's just something cool. I just, you know, John, the thing that I, I got to keep hitting on today is just that connection piece, man. Like there's something, a flow about you. And I think maybe that's why when you look back at all the people you've interviewed over all the years, there's connection and there's something about just kind of that synergy that you provide. And I just love that. I think it's amazing. I mean, one of the guests you have coming that you interviewed a long time ago, Steve Sims, 
yeah. you remember Steve. And, and yeah. I'm looking at these people and I'm like, wow, like that, that person's amazing. And how did you make the connection? And the guests that I have on my show come from your business partner. A lot of him, he's interviewed some of the most amazing people. And so I, I, want, to give a, I want to give a shout out to you, Jeremy. I, I know that you'll listen to this because I know that's who you are and you show up that way in my life. And I know you probably show up that way in a lot of people's lives. That's a great quality to have as somebody who does the work. And uh, yeah. yeah, so John, let's talk about the fulfillment round. And, you know, we kind of climb down the mountain and here's the things that keep showing up for me. Consistency, no matter the hurdle, you're willing to overcome it. You're willing to walk through it. You've been with your wife longer than you've been practicing law. Three kids. You love the fact that you can walk a couple steps and you're in the bay. You can take your, your son and he can drop his pole into the water. You can fish. There's that meditation moment of clarity, that video of that, just that I can see you in the corner. I'm just going, okay, cool. No dunce camp on today. I just need to practice 10 minutes of meditation. If I can get through my meditation, I'm going to be good. And you got the gift from Dan Cushell. I mean, send you a little, a little dot. And next thing you know, like you're doing something that you weren't doing two months earlier. Yeah. Like, how's that possible? Right. Without having a mindset of wanting to get better and become more. I love that. That's a great quality. Yeah, that's the key thing, you know, is is just having that openness and willingness to try things and squeeze it in whatever way possible. I remember a number of years ago, this is when I was first starting my little boutique law firm after having worked for other law firms for a long time and having wanting to be an entrepreneur for a long time and never giving myself permission to do it. And then I finally did. And then, you know, it's always some other thing, right? I was saying to this coach that I had at the time, I was saying, you know, I've always want, I always enjoyed painting, you know, drawing, being artistic like that. And I thought, you know, at some point I'm going to take a class, like a drawing class or something like that, maybe when I'm retired. And she was like, why are you waiting? Why don't you just do it now? And my son at the time was about a year or two years old at the time. She was like, why don't you buy a drawing pad and sit down with, your kid and get out some crayons and you guys can draw together. And I just thought that was such a great insight. I was like, yes, yes, I can, I can just do this now. I don't, I don't need to wait. I don't need to take a class. I can do it right now. So that's a, just an attitude that I think I try and bring. And I try and also get others to see it in themselves too, because others do this as well, where they put up these barriers. I will do this when this falls into line. And they continue to erect additional barriers because the anticipation of having something in the distance is more important in their life than actually achieving it. And I do this too. You know, the, people do this with success, right? Where they hold it off, they hold it at bay. You know, do, you and think, so, do you think there was a permission or a buy-in that you kind of had to switch in your mindset? You're like, I don't need to have permission from anybody to have fun. Like, I think sometimes we're waiting, you know, especially when we're younger, we are looking to the stands for our parents' approval and we kind of needed them to say, all right, you can go ahead and do this now. And then there's like a, a certain time where you've taken the adult training wheels off and you're like, you know what? I can do this. I'm capable. Like, what does that look like for you? I think it's just been throughout my career constantly challenging myself, challenging me with something that I didn't think I could do going into it. I didn't think at 23 years old with a BA in English from a party school that I could at 23 years old be a writer for a president. I didn't think two parents who didn't go to any kind of advanced degrees or anything like that didn't think I could go to law school, graduate take a three-day test, pass that test, become a practicing lawyer, start my own law firm, you know, have actual clients that pay me to be a lawyer. All those things that you don't think are possible until you actually do them. 
And now that relates to what we do now because through Rise25, we have a lot of professional services, people who are consultants, coaches, things like that. And they've done a lot of one-on-one and they, they're like, I want to do something more leveraged. I want to do something one-to-many. I want to have a group of people. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I want to have a group of people. But they're holding themselves back. They hold themselves back for year after year after year. And it's just, we just say to them, look, now is the time. Look, you can do this. You're ready. You're able. Nothing's going to stop you. It'll be fine. The world's not going to collapse. Let's do this. And it's really amazing and liberating to help people through that process. Oh, yeah. You know, I always would say like to help a blind person to see. You know, what that would be like, right? In a lot of ways, that's kind of like when you show somebody a a different path that they've been stuck on and they thought they couldn't get over and you're like, nope, it's, it's just taking that next step. So we're going to get into the fulfillment round. Like I said, there's, there's no real right or wrongs. There's don't pass, please. Don't be the guy who passes today. (laughs) Damn. If if anything comes your way. And and like I said, I'm not going to make you sweat, even though you did take your sweater off already. Don't worry. (laughs) I know I'm not grilling you today. Are you ready for the fulfillment round? I've been through moot court. So I think I will uh, make something up if nothing comes to mind. All right. We're going to just get to know you really, really quick. Flannel shirts or silk shirts. Oh, I've never worn a silk shirt in my life, and I haven't worn a flannel shirt since the 90s, but I'll go with flannel shirts. All right. Uh, <laughs> Nike or Under Armour? Uh, I've never owned anything Under Armour, so I guess I'll have to go with the classic Nike. All right. Android or Apple? I have got an Android in my pocket right now, although I'm talking to you over a MacBook. Isn't that interesting? I'm All a right. bit of both, and I have an iPad, so go figure. Go figure. All right. Top places that you want to visit that you're committed to visiting in the next couple of years? Oh man, that I haven't been to before, yeah. I'm assuming here? Okay, okay. I've, New Zealand has always been on my list. Oh, Cuba, definitely. Cuba is at the top of the list. And now Southwest flies from Fort Lauderdale into Havana, which is crazy. So I got no excuse. Cuba, New Zealand, I guess we'll leave it at those. Those are two pretty ambitious ones for someone with three kids. All right, three kids are asleep. It's you and your wife, Netflix and chill. What's something that would be your go-to? Lately, I've been really into Veep, which has been on for a number of years with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's set in the White House in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, which is a building that I used to work in. It's humor, but it is so spot on. I love it. It's hilarious. All right. You are in your car, bumper-to-bumper traffic in the Bay Area, and you have to turn on a local radio station. What kind of music would we find John listening to on his commute? So I like Death Cab, I like Coldplay, lately Mumford and & Sons, and the Lumineers lately, little Alabama Shakes, if I'm feeling a little funky. There you go. That's a, that's a few there. All right. So we stop for lunch and we pull up to a pizza joint. What is John like on his pizza? <laughs> on my pizza. You know, for a long time, I had a strange combination, pineapple and mushroom on the same pizza. I know, strange. Kind of like a, like a Hawaiian, but minus the ham. Very cool. I like that. Are you a vegetarian? I don't eat ham. And I don't eat pork. And I uh, sometimes eat beef. But I, I love seafood and chicken. All right. So we decide after eating pizza, we need to like, get some exercise in us. We're feeling a little lethargic. So we're like, hey, Sounds let's take a, a long walk up a large, tall, let's say, we'll call it a 14er. Or would you rather go run 20 miles? What would you rather do? 20 mile run or a hike? Definitely a hike. Much more of a hike guy than a runner. All right. The thing that you are getting your wife for Valentine's Day. 
<laughs> so my wife is the most practical woman in the world. If I bought her flowers on Valentine's Day, she would probably divorce me because of the markup. So probably a slice of carrot cake. She loves carrot cake. And fortunately, last I checked, they don't mark up carrot cake on Valentine's Day. No, I love that. No, they don't. And certain restaurants don't even get into the game. All right. So if we had to have one last deal, it's now the nighttime and we pull into a bar and there is a karaoke machine and you know, you've had enough liquor courage to help you out. Maybe that's water or whatever it may be for you. And you step up to the mic. What's your go-to song? So uh, I'm going to say it's a tide between You Can Call Me Al by uh, Paul Simon and Subterranean Homesick Blues by Bob Dylan. For whatever reason, those are the two songs that I memorized when I was a kid and I can still pretty much belt them out. Now I hope no one calls me on that. All right. So we're (laughs) going to ask one last question you can't pass. What's the most unusual thing that you've ever seen Dr. Jeremy Wise do? Um unusual thing. He will cut your hair in a heartbeat. He travels with hair clippers everywhere he goes. And just like, like it's completely normal. He'll be like, go ahead, take off your shirt. I'm going to start cutting your hair. And he'll just like, no like strangeness about it or anything. Like this is just two guys and I'm just cutting your hair. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess he's as practical as my wife is. He's like, why would we spend money on a haircut when I've got these clippers and I going to just cut your hair? So that is probably hey. the strangest. I love but he, it. he is a doctor and he did do a, he did a dissect a cadaver when he was in medical school, in chiropractic school, which I think is probably the strangest thing he's ever done. But I wasn't there, fortunately, to witness it. Well, you survived the fulfillment round. It wasn't that hard, right? It was pretty easy. It makes no. us get to know you a little bit better. It allows us to kind of get underneath a few layers that maybe don't come out every single day. I, I know I like from it. your karaoke songs and everything, and then <laughs> you, don't, you don't wear Under Armour, but you like Nike, and you also have this love-hate with Android and Apple devices. Like you've, you've got an Android, but you've got a MacBook, and you're talking on one right now. So thank you so much. What I'd love to do today is get people a little bit more connected with you. I know you're the host of the Smart Business Revolution podcast, so people can tune in there. You can find that. You've got blogs, you're a writer, you love copy, and you love you know, connecting people with Rice25. What piece of information am I missing that would allow somebody to get connected with you more? Yeah, Rise25.com. They can check me out there, smartbusinessrevolution.com. They can go over there. I give away email templates for connecting with VIPs, which is relevant to what we were talking about here today. So you can check that out. The other thing I'll say is hopefully by the time this is published, I will also be publishing my interview of Tony. So if you'd like to get to know Tony better, then go check out Smart Business Revolution on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you like, and you can check that out. So I'm looking forward to turning the tables on you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have gone first. All right, this is John Corcoran today. Very, very honored to have you on the show. I learned a lot, but I think the thing that I'm going to walk away with too is that connection piece. I think, you know, that's an important ingredient. So many people skimp out in life is they don't spend any time really trying to go deeper than surface. And we talked about that from your parents today. We just talked about from your wife and life and a couple thousand dollars. It seemed like, you know, you were living off of student loans to survive at times. You shared some pretty stuff that I think most people don't just go, this is me and this is the things that I had to do to get where I'm at today. But I love that about you because you're also very humbled. And so thank you for being a guest on the show. Thank you, sir. Honored to be here. It It was a pleasure. That wraps up this week's edition of the Be Fulfilled Show. And as always, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, make today the best day of your life. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at trainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever.